Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from Genesis chapter 11, and I will be reading verses 10 through 32. So you can turn in your Bibles or your smartphones or tablets, and you can follow along as we read from the word of the Lord together. So again, Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 32. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. When Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarug. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pam. Kind of the last of our long genealogies uh, in our Genesis series this morning as we've been working our way through the first 11 chapters of Genesis in the series we've been calling Genesis Foundations. And this morning, we'll be wrapping up this first section. And in your life group, she'll be asked this week, what is the most significant way in which God impacted, challenged, or changed you through this Genesis series to date? What is it? And I think it's a question we should all think about. We've asked it before, how will, you, how will you be different after hearing this series of messages, or the message today? That's why we study the Bible, to know God 
and be changed by God. That's what we do at Bethany Church. We're calling this morning, and so that's a question for you to ask as we come into this message, we're calling a hint at the call, because that is what we have here, a hint at what Moses records in chapter 12. Take a look on the slide behind me. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You know, there are really not many more important events in human history uh, than this one, the calling of Abram. And and, and not really many more important people than Abram who will become uh, Abraham. Did you know that the three, uh, basically the three major religions of the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all claim Abraham as their father, as their, their roots of their religion. But what's so great about this moment in Abram's life we're going to look at today? And why is he so great? What gave him the courage to go out from his country, to leave behind his pagan roots and become the hope of humanity? It's the call of God on his life. That's what it is. The call of God on his life. Abram wasn't great in and of himself. The God who called him is and was for Abraham. And it's the same for you and I. Unless you hear and respond to the call of God in your life, you're not a Christian. It's pretty strong words, isn't it? The call of God on Abraham's life was the thing. And we're going to look at it today. It's the thing in our life. That's what makes a great life, the call of God on your life. This morning in Genesis, we transition from the primeval history of many generations, which is like the oldest history that word means, to now the focusing in. There's a transition here on one pagan family, which just means idolatrous, with tentative beginnings that God is going to work through. So from the corruption of humanity will come the hope of God's calling to Abram. Our passage is full of hints at hope. So grab your outline. You probably got it already and have your Bible open as we're going to quickly look at the genealogy first and the hope it gives us. Here's what we see. Great hope is anticipated as death is deleted. Here we have another genealogy like the ones in chapters 5 and 10, do you remember? And there's great hope in this genealogy. Glance down at it, will you, in chapter 11? Just take a look at it, what what Pam just, uh, what we had just read to us. Do you see what's missing that was, uh, that's present in the other genealogy? Does anybody see it there? There's no mention of death. There is no mention of death when you get to this genealogy. In Genesis chapter 5, it reads, and -and so-and-so had kids, he lived many more years, and then he died. Here, death is deleted. Moses makes a conscious decision not to record their deaths. He's moving us away from death and pointing us towards life. I believe that. Pointing us towards promise that's about to come. 
pointing us towards expansion rather than death that's about to come, pointing us towards another intervention by God in the life of Abram that's about to come. The genealogies connect as well the chosen family line back to the first gospel promise. It's another hope we see here. We have before us Shem's genealogy, right? And Shem's genealogy, which connects us to Abram today, connects uh, Shem to Noah, which means it connects uh, uh, Abram to Noah, which means it connects Abram to Adam. Going all the way back to the beginning, you can almost hear the promise in this genealogy when God spoke to the serpent Satan in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here's some offspring, right? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is sovereignly orchestrating history to keep his covenants, his promises, and that's what these genealogies show us. From family to family, down the line, down to more people and progeny and and fruitfulness, down to Abram. It's the next uh, toldoth. Remember, there was 11 of those in Genesis. It just means here's what happened to this family line. That's the Hebrew word. Uh, But that we make a transition in the book here. It's It's a narrowing down in the recorded history. We're moving from the primeval, the oldest history now, to a patriarch. It means a father, a father of the faith, the beginning place. That's what this genealogy does. It's a transition of the book, from the oldest history now to something that we, a bit more contemporary, not quite contemporary, but uh, more current in history, from primeval to patriarch. So, so far, we've been looking way back in history in these first 11 chapters, from creation to the flood to the earliest humanity, the earliest time. Well, now the promise gets transferred, so to speak, to a patriarch, a father of the faith, the person, Abram now, the person. But by doing that, here's what we get to see also. As the story narrows in, we also get to see a much more intimate interaction with God and his chosen person, the person he's going to call as we transition and narrow in. We get to see God interact with Abram and the family that would come from him in an intimate covenant he's going to make. And verse 26 of this chapter closes really the first section uh, of primeval history. Look at verse 26. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It's a transition. And here we have in Shem's genealogy and in Terah's family a bridge to hope. A bridge to hope. Just like Noah's genealogy, after 10 generations listed, it ends as well here with the birth of three sons. Just like Noah's genealogy ended. And Abram is mentioned first here, although he's not the oldest. You would think you'd mention him in birth order, right? But Abram's not the oldest. We can tell by the dating on Terah's age. When he started having kids at 70 years old, it says, and death at 205, and Abram's leaving Haran at age 75 after Terah died, the math doesn't work out. It doesn't work out if Abram is the firstborn. 
So why is he mentioned first? It's his prominence. It's Moses bringing him to the foreground for us. And Terah does not become the great man like in Noah's genealogy, Noah's listed, and then it's all about Noah. Terah does not become the great man through whom God works here. It's Abram. It's going to be his son. He is the one who becomes the father of nations, of God's people. In fact, his name, Abram, means father, and Abraham means father of many. I heard one pastor say this week, it's daddy and big daddy, or his two different names, (laughs) Abram and Abraham. With the close of this genealogy, Moses is giving us a bridge to hope, a bridge to hope. I mean, this, the, the downward spiral we've seen of humanity in chapters 1 through 11, the downward spiral into evil could not thwart God's promises. I mean, every one of our songs today were kind of, I don't know if you caught it, those strong, mighty themes that nothing can thwart God's promises. And even though the families of the earth had been scattered at Babel, which we just looked at, he would find his chosen family. And he does. I mean, isn't that the kind of God you want to serve? A God who can work through the chaos, work through the scattering of Babel, work even through the evil in your own life that comes into your life? I mean, isn't that the kind of God you want to serve? Psalm 33 encourages in this promise, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, the people's. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. And isn't that why Moses put the genealogies in there? For us to see that and to know that. See, they're not pointless. If Genesis 1 through 11, the genealogies show us anything, it shows us that God works in sovereign grace to the nations. He will bring about his plan. And thank God there is nothing we humans or the enemy Satan can do to thwart it. Because when you actually look at the family of Abram, you see a family that had done just about everything they could to thwart God's plan. Just about everything they could. Let's take a look at number two in our message today. A pagan family that is called and convinced. So who is this? Who is this great family God calls? Who is this great family that, that, that carries on the seeds of the Messiah? I mean, where do they begin? You know where? They are a pagan, moon-worshipping family. That's who they are. That's who Abram and his family are. Genesis 1 through 11, as we've said, has been this downward spiral of evil in humanity. And they've become more corrupt, evil, and oppressive. But there's always been this one bright spot that's remained through Noah, uh, Seth into Noah and Seth's line. But here, we've really come to like the end of humanity, really. The end of humanity. There is not much hope in this family. But what do we see? God calls the pagan 
and the tentative here. We'll talk about that word in a minute, what I mean by it. God calls the pagan and tentative here in this family line. Well, how do we know they're pagan? This means idolatrous, not worshiping the only true God. Well, we get an idea from the fact, first, from where they're from. Ur of the Chaldeans was uh, the main home of moon worship, lunar worship, or worshiping the god of the moon. So here is the family that's supposed to know God and be living as image bearers to bring his glory on the earth, to know humanity's purpose. And so what we see is humanity's hope in this pagan family is like a candle that has burned down to the end of a wick. And it's just a little flicker that's left. A pagan, idolatrous family. We might say, well, just because they lived there doesn't mean they had abandoned God. Just they lived in Ur. Well, that's true, but Joshua gives us the information we need. Take a look at this verse in Joshua. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. So the last family that's supposed to be our spiritual pipeline is lost. They were pagan, polytheists, and some of their names even come from the cult moon worship, Terra and, 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 and Milka and a couple others. They're just from the names of cult worship. I mean, it's possible that Abram stood on top of, they would build ziggurats, which is probably what the Tower of Babel was, or like those buildings, that it, possibly he'd stood on top of that, a ziggurat that had been built to worship these gods, much like the Tower of Babel, even knowing that in Ur and their, their ziggurat, human sacrifice took place. This is the first family, the family God goes after, pagan. But it was also tentative, we said. It's also tentative. So let's take a look at that too. And what I mean by that tentative, I just mean it's shaky. It's not certain. Like that candle that's about to be snuffed out. This is a tiny, pagan, inbred family. Sarai was Abram's wife, but did you know Genesis 20 tells us she's also his half-sister. <laughs> Nahor marries his niece, Milka, after Haran, his brother, dies. Lot, we know about Lot, Lot causes all kinds of trouble and grief to his uncle Abraham. And then add to that, the family who is supposed to be the father of a great nation is barren. Barren. Verse 30 says, Sarai is barren. I mean, stacking all this up this morning, you might be thinking, you're kind of being kind of harsh <laughs> to, to the father of God's people. I mean, you really need to like recapture all of this and report all of this? Absolutely. You know why? Because it points to the fact that God is the one who initiates here in his grace. 
God is the one who comes to them. God must intervene. God must call this family. God must act and speak. Look at the state of this family. Here's where I look at the call that is necessary and gracious. Apart from God's call on this family, the wick would have gone out. They would have remained in their spiritual slumber, their spiritual death. Apart from the call of God here, it is hopeless. That's kind of why I wanted to paint that picture. They're not seeking the one true God. Abram is not looking for God. God comes to find him. God comes to find them. That is the picture Moses paints for God's people. And we have to see the dire circumstances so the grace of God will shine against that dark backdrop. That's what he's painting for us. Paul does the same thing. Paul does the very same thing in his letters for us. You were dead in your trespasses. It's not very good news, is it? Not very joyful, is it? But Paul's so clear so that he can go on and say, but look what God did for you in your deadness. Look what he did. It's no different from all of humanity. Paul makes it really clear. The picture we get of the pagan tentative family of Abram is our picture, is our picture. No one seeks after God, Paul writes in Romans 2. As well, I mean, not Romans chapter 2, Romans as well. This is not the danger of death Paul's talking about here. This is the way we're born. Alienated from God, living under a present reality of spiritual death, unless he calls. That's what Abraham shows us. It's absolutely necessary. It has to happen in a life to come to God. He calls us. And in case you think it's just Paul, here's Peter. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's Peter uh, saying? You're in darkness, not in danger of darkness coming, but in present darkness until you're called out of present darkness, he says. The call of God is absolutely necessary to break into, disturb, and disrupt your life, my life. I I may have shared this story before on a Sunday. If I have, forgive me, but I I love it. It's one of my favorites, and if I have, tell me after, and I won't do it ever again, so we'll do that. But I had a college professor who would tell the story of visiting Israel and getting a visual picture that gave him a greater understanding of God's calling on our lives. He went to a local coffee shop with a friend, uh, the Starbucks on the corner in Israel, next to a field, I don't know what it was, but some coffee shop, and, he, uh, and next to this coffee shop was a field that had some uh, fenced-in areas where shepherds would come from time to time, bring their flocks, and go get a cup of coffee. They would just do it. Uh, it's where the setting, where it was, and it was adjacent to this pasture. And he was there sitting actually outside, uh, kind of cafe on a, a, a um, table outside. And uh, he saw a shepherd come up leading his flock up, and he put him kind of in this pen. 
and he left them there, just left them and went in the fenced-in area and went in to get a, a cup of coffee. Well, he's still sitting there talking with his buddy after another 20, 30 minutes. Another shepherd came along, but he put his sheep into the exact same pen as the other guy. My, my professor's saying, like, this is crazy. Like, this, what, what is he doing? Why? They all started to mingle. How, I mean, unless you probably own sheep, I mean, they, they all look alike, right? I mean, and even if you own them, if you own them and they all mix, it's probably be hard to find your own. But he's thinking, like, what are they going to do? Like, how in the world are they going to unmix this situation of mixed sheep? How am I get, how, how's he going to get his flock back when the shepherd comes out, he thought. Well, he was there after a little while, and the first shepherd that went in first came out and went back out to the flocks, and he, he didn't look confused, didn't look panicked, walked up to the flock and called them in his unique call. And my professor said he was just blown away because out of the, two, the one lump of sheep, they kind of came out and they came forward as they heard the call of their shepherd's voice. They emerged and separated and he went off. My, sh- my professor was just... <laughs> I was not expecting that, but in that moment he thought, I will call the sheep and the sheep will know my voice. That's what he knew in that moment. He knew the Lord was impressing that upon his heart in that moment. Jesus said that the sheep will know his call, his voice. Unless the good shepherd places a call on your life, we remain lost. Sheep idolaters like Abram, of career or money or pleasure or something. It's absolutely necessary, but it's also gracious. Let's talk about that. It's also gracious. Abram is not qualified to receive this call. We've just made the case, haven't we? He's not a great guy, like maybe he becomes, He's not faithful to God, as we're going to see actually in Genesis. Most of the patriarchs and their families are not great and faithful. He needs a call like all of us because we're all unqualified, all of us. You know, when you have health issues, as I've been having some recently, or I know you have too, some of you, or in your past, you go to a doctor who is qualified, don't you? You want to find the most qualified doctor or surgeon. You pick one out because they're qualified. You call them on the phone because they were, you were referred to them. They're qualified. Not so with God. His call in our life is an act of sheer grace. His call is actually what makes you qualified. It's what qualifies you. It's by grace alone that Abram was called according to God's plan. That family is at a dead end, Moses shows us. They're idolaters and barren and without much hope. But the call breaks in, and guess what? Then again, there is hope. There is hope for humanity. It's of grace. But it also requires a response, which we see in Abram. Let's take a look at the response. The call that requires belief personal obedience, we'll say even risk. Well, what was Abram's call? We read it in in, in chapter 12, 
We're not getting there necessarily today. We read it in chapter 12. Trust God and leave your country and go to a land I will show you. That's a pretty extreme call. We have here today, though, is sort of the effect in chapter 11, again, before the cause, the call. Like we did last week, remember we had the table of nations before going to actually looking at the scattering of the Tower of Babel. Look at 31 and 32 with me. We have them going out, actually, before the call is recorded in chapter 12. Uh, Verse 31, I'll read it to us. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran... They settled there. And in chapter 12, 1, we see it. God calls. He says, get out. Get your, or, or better yet, get yourself out. Get out. They're called to go to Canaan. But they end up stopping halfway uh, in Haran. You see here. Maybe dad said, you know, Moses, this is far enough. You know, I, I thought it was crazy to leave behind everything we had and our ancestors and our family and our gods we left behind, but now I really think it is. This is far enough. Maybe that happened. Maybe Abram even said, God, I mean, is this far enough? We've gone really far. Is this far enough? God says, no, 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 no. I'll show you. I will show you. Get out. Get out. And, and Abram does. After Terah dies, he gets out and leaves himself. Maybe some stayed behind, who knows, some family. Your membership in a good family, as they went as a good family, or your church attendance, or your Bible reading plan, whatever it might be, doesn't save you. Responding personally to the call of God through faith is how God works. And Abram had to get out again and leave family behind. Have you met him personally? Have you responded to the call personally? I mean, there's no riding on the coattails of anybody else in God's kingdom. Except Jesus' I guess we could say, right? There's no riding on anybody else's coattails. Somebody else's track record, a good family name, a good history here in Canby of a good family. No. Great bank account, um, nice moral, none of that. You can't ride on those coattails or yours or anybody else's. Abram responded personally, as we see, as he left Haran again, and with obedience. Hebrews 11, I love that this chapter, even going to it in the Genesis series, says about Abram, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, think about that. He went out not knowing where he was going. God just said, get out, without showing him where he was going. Get out and go. It was open-ended or open-mapped, I guess you could say it was, there was no coordinates, no GPS for him. Go to the place I will show you. But first, just get out. 
no handwritten directions, no GPS, nothing, none of that. Some of our ladies went to the uh, Beckmans for if gathering this weekend. And the Beckmans live a little off the beaten path, I guess you could say. And a GPS actually won't get you there. If you try it, it get, takes you somewhere else. And so they prepared some directions for the ladies. And I actually heard they had an amazing time on Friday and Saturday. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. But they prepared some directions uh, for the ladies, typed some up, gave them to them to get there. Now imagine if we would have said to those ladies, just get out. <laughs> get out and you'll make it. Get out, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you where it's going to be. Get out and just, just, just go. Okay, I want to go. Well, where is it? I'll show you. Just, just go. Get in your car, start driving. You'll make it. I mean, think about that, if we would do that. That'd be absurd, right? It'd be absurd. But God's the one asking us to get out here. Not just one of us. God is asking Abram to get out. Not just another person, but God. To risk to obey. And he says, just go and I will show you. And we're going to see this. He does this over and over again in Abram's life. Over and over again in Abram's life. If your response to follow Christ is this, okay, I'll get out and go if you show me exactly where and what I'll have to do and what I'll have to give up to get there. And if it then makes total sense to me, I'll go. That's not answering the call. (laughs) That's keeping one hand on the wheel of your life while trying to wave out to God out the side window. That's what that is. This is the all-encompassing call of God on your life. I'll go wherever you show me, even if it means walking away from my culture and my idols as it did for Abram and the people I know and grew up with and love, and living, standing out like a pilgrim who is journeying on to another home, another place, because that's who the Christian is, a sojourner, an exile. That's what Peter's getting at when he says this in 1 Peter 2, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Answering the call of God to become a disciple of Jesus means you're going to have one foot in your culture, one foot in our culture. We have to. We're called to live here. But to live as a sojourner, as an exile. We're called to live here in that way. It means living your life of faith and obedience, it means it's going to look weird at times. (laughs) It's going to look strange at times. Peter's uh, uh, Peter's saying that here. It's going to look odd. It's going to even be risky at times and even be spoken of as evil, Peter says even be spoken of as evil. You're good. God says, get out. So we get out. We live for him. Abram got out. You might hear this and you go, well, okay. It's a lot of kind of theological, kind of heady, this surrendering to God, this call. 
You know, and, and even if I wanted to, how would I respond to a call like this? I mean, imagine if God asked me to do something that drastic, that risky. How do I heed this call? Let's take a look at it. Let's close by looking at it. Heeding the call by trusting the son who truly answered the call. Heeding the call by trusting the son who truly answered the call. Let's think about this family here for a moment. Sarai is barren, isn't she? Sarai is barren. The big promise of Abraham and Sarai is that they will have a great family. Really, God? Amazing family, like the stars in the sky. Nations will come from this family. And they can't even have a child, a son. They carry on the family name. Even so, you know how they live? They live according to to the promises as if they are true before they ever even see it. That's how they live. Even when it looks crazy. Get out, Abram. Get out, Sarai. You can have a great family. We know we can't have kids. Get out. But Sarai, the beautiful Sarai, had faith too. Take a look at her faith. By faith, Sarah, as her name becomes, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. There it is. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Beautiful Sarai had faith in a son to come, even though it looked crazy. She was past the age. I love how Hebrew says it. Abram was as good as dead. It says, <laughs> that's hopeless, right? <laughs> Don't mix words in the Bible. I like it. It's real, isn't it? It's very real. And Genesis is very real. She had faith in his son to come because she considered God faithful who had promised. That's what the Hebrew writer says. Get out. Go out. Believe. And if you do, everything else will show up. Everything you need will show up. It might not be what you think you need, but everything you need will come to you if you respond to the call and get out. Just answer the call. And the son came, didn't he? You know, his name, Isaac. We're going to look at him when we go back to our Genesis series, probably in the fall. Isaac came. But another son came from that family line too. Another son came from the same family line of Isaac. You know what he was asked to? He was asked to get out of his father's house as well. He was asked to get out. He was asked to leave behind, to walk away from his home of heaven. He too was asked to heed the call of God on his life and to go to a place where he did not know, live the life of an exile, a sojourner, a homeless 
traveler. But you know why he did it? To call the sheep. To call us. To call us out of the pen. He knew he had to go out to bring back the sheep from the fold. But the way he would do it, the way he would do that was a call for him to death on a cross. Another son would come from this line for us. He gave all that up so that we too could respond to the call and come to the land that he will show us someday. The place he will take us. The home you've always wanted. And when we grasp this and believe this and answer this call, you know what we'll do? We'll get out. doesn't mean you're going to be called to go to another country. Most of us won't be. But you'll live in your, the culture he's put you in with one foot in it and one foot to the Lord, in your life to the Lord and one foot there living for him. Getting out. You might be thinking today, this is too much. This is too much. This call of Christianity, it's all-encompassing, like submit everything, my life. Like a guy did like Abram, his whole family, they got out there. You might be thinking, he's asking me to trust him in the middle of this trial right now? He wants me to get out when this is what's going on in my life? I don't even want to open the front door sometimes. (laughs) You ever feel like that? This crazy season of life? Maybe it's this lonely season of life? This poor season of life? And you see, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he wasn't willing already to do himself. He got out for us. And when you hear that call and embrace it by faith, that security, that salvation he gives you, you too will answer the call and you'll get out. Whatever that looks like, whatever he calls you to, whatever he puts in front of you, whatever he asks you to do, you will get out. We get to do that together too. You're not on your own. Let's pray. Jesus, you called us to follow you to hear your voice, to live for you, to to place our faith and trust in, in really your act of getting out as you came to earth and left behind that home and your father and to live that life and wander and suffer and die for our sins on the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave us the hope of resurrection because when when we see that, we realize that the homeland is coming. The final sheepfold is, is waiting for us, or will come to us, actually, in your grace and mercy. If you would have just died and disappeared from the course of history, to answer that call of get out would be really hard. And man, I think about that. Abram didn't even have that. He didn't have the resurrection. We have knowing that if we get out, even if you were to call us to the ultimate sacrifice of our own life, you'll be awaiting on the other side. Our true home will be on the other side. The land that you'll show us will be there. Give us faith to follow you, Jesus, to live for you, to share you, and to be part of calling others into this same kingdom. It's your name we pray. Amen.